Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. With us right now, the founder and CEO at 5C Consulting, Greg Ballard. You're found on the web at 5C, so that's F-I-V-E-C dot consulting. One of the uh, one of the newer TLDs there. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Josh, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be a guest here with you today. Absolutely. So you're just outside of DC and uh, from five, from a high level, explain what 5C does. So we are a people strategy firm. So we help connect businesses' strategy and their people together. And so we deal with anything from that high level all the way down to some, you know, basic HR support. So we're a people organization, and we really kind of live in that strategy and that IO development space. Excellent. So who do you typically work with? So we work with a variety of of uh, mid-sized businesses and some small businesses as well as some mm-hmm. nonprofits. But we also have some work with the government we've done as well. Um, yeah, so we're kind of, you know, the mid-sized enterprise is our sweet spot. Yeah. And so uh, tell me about your background, like how you got into this space. Like what led you uh, to believe that you could solve some big problems uh, when it comes to, uh, again, organizations and and uh, and people? Yeah. So let's take a second on this one. Um, <laughs> I didn't come about this the way most people probably do. So my background is in ministry. Um, Prior to doing this, I I served in a large multi-site church in upstate New York. And um, I just, I've always loved people. I've been passionate about ministry. I mean, I was in a dream job. I was pastoring a church. um, You know, the leader said, hey, Greg, you know us, we know you. Go over the river, go down the road and build a new community for us. And and you have all the resources that you need to do so. And, And for three years, we me, my wife, and our team, we built a congregation. Um, wow. And I absolutely loved it. But back up a few steps, when I came on to the, into this organization, the person that had hired me and mentored me um, used a particular t- style of development with me that just really resonated. And I didn't know what it was at first. But he, later, he said, Greg, this is professional coaching. This is back in 2009, 2010. And I didn't know what professional coaching was. Mm. But in 2011, he took me and a few of my peers and we said, this coaching thing is really key to leadership development. And I don't know if you have any faith background or if you're familiar with large churches. Oh, yeah, we could talk about this. I've got more questions. I've got a lot of questions on this. So a a big church is a leadership factory. You grow by growing leaders. That's how Uh it works. And so we took this coaching thing and we pushed it. And we got some formal coach training and to understand this. And so I immediately began using these skills in my role as a pastor, in my role as a leader, uh, with my staff, with my volunteers. And I actually was, I'd say this, listen, if I wasn't pastoring, I'd probably be going into coaching. Mm. And so uh, fast forward at the end of our term there, and before we we moved here to Virginia, and I said, hey, I'm going to go, what do I want to do? And I dove into coaching. And as I coached, um, I ended up taking my organization and pivoted to a coach consulting firm. So yeah. we consult and coach now. So that's that's kind of the journey and the background. There 
And I'm so glad you brought this up because I believe that there's a lot of things that um, churches can learn from business and specifically consulting and coaching um, professionals and vice versa. Uh, and you just happen to kind of run that intersection of both worlds. Um, you know, one thing I'm fascinated with right now, just in the, um, you know, kind of the ministry world is the evolution of, you know, of, of getting the message, connecting in community. Um, when, you know, when you look at trends, um, you know, it's it's not like it is in the 80s. Um, there's, you know, kind of like, I know, you know, folks like Andy Stanley and others will talk about the rise of the nuns, right? Where where people fundamentally aren't, you know, it's not like they are, don't believe in God anymore, but but the, the old school church is, is maybe is not as appealing to a Gen Z or millennial group as maybe it did for, um, you know, decades past. And I think a lot of it just simply has to do with, you know, one of the big, um, you know, I'd say uh, value components to a church is community. And, uh, you know, now that we're so interconnected through the internet on any topic you want, uh, I wonder if that's part of that. And I'm sure you've got a lot of thoughts on this. Oh, my God. I don't know if you don't mind me taking a little bit of detour to our friends who are like, always here for like business advice. Uh, forgive yeah, me, because yeah. I, I think that there's, um, th this is very applicable because I want you to not just think about this, just, you know, what's going on in the United States from a faith component right now, but there are trends that happen in the marketplace. I experienced this with my other company, Savings Angel. We had a meteoric rise to seven figures. And then, you know, we just, couponing just fell out of favor. Uh, and so what do you do in that case? All right, Greg Ballard, take it away. <laughs> oh, uh, where do I want to go with that? So, you know, the church today is, is, is struggling. There's You've got some great ones that are just doing a whole lot, and they've really taken on this digital thing. Um, but most churches don't grow to more than seventy-five people. And so, you know, how do you how do you how do you wrestle with that? Um, but coming back to coming back to some of the other things that we talked about, how do you connect community? And it, you know, this is what we're all about. And I'm getting myself a little lost here because I got a bunch of stuff going on in my head. Mm -hmm. um, can I ask you to repitch the question, Josh? Yeah, no. Well, let, let, you know, the, the kind of the parallel between, I, I'd say, what we've seen in trends, uh, particularly in, 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 uh, in the ministry, um, where, you know, people um, don't mind connecting, but not in the old school sense. So in other words, the market is changing there. So let's start by just your observations. We'll, we'll, first, let's start by just talking about faith, right? And what's happening in, in, in churches today and, and in the broader market. Um, and then in part two, we'll talk about the parallels to business. Yeah, yeah. So what I see, and, and it's interesting because I've gone from, for the last five years, we're, we attend. You know, I'm not in any leadership roles right now, um, whereas previously I was always in a leadership role. I was always at the center of the organization. I was always one of the most connected people. And when people would connect with me, I was able to help them connect with other people. Um, I'll, I'll brought another another interesting thing. When I, I, I did a tour in Sweden uh, in my part of my undergrad and I was studying culture. 
And while I was there, I got to talk to some people about churches and church growth. And we came across a book and it showed some statistics. And the statistics showed that the, the number of relationships you build correlates to how long you stay. And the magic number is seven. So when 100% of people make seven meaningful relationships into the community, their likelihood to stay is very high outside mm-hmm. of, I took a job somewhere else, you know, I have to move for kids or some other major reason, people are going to stay. And so I began teaching this and I began building on this. My first role was director of first impressions and then pastor of connections. I wow. mean, my job was to help get connect people into community. So, but what's happening today is the Sunday buffet. Okay. You come in, you sit down, you worship, you hear teaching, you leave. Yep. And you know, you get this very informal lobby fellowship. And if you don't connect beyond that into a small group, into a team, yeah. you are not going to build any more relationships. Yeah. And so now I've, I've seen that, um, you know, for us, uh, I, 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 it would be a very long story in my relationship with faith. Uh, but, you know, just locally, you know, there's a local uh, non-denominational. We've seen that, um, you know, we go into very contemporary service, but, you know, you're kind of in the dark. It's, you know, it's lots of music, lots of fun. Uh, you, you show up, maybe you say hi or whatever in the lobby, but, you know, you're kind of in and out. Uh, but it's that small uh, adult group uh, where we connect with six others, oh, man, that's meaningful. It's it's where you could take a very super, what might feel like superficial relationship or entertainment. Yeah. And now, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, watching, you know, watching a movie and, um, you know, you really enjoy the movie. The movie's good, but it's, you know, it's kind of like that Marvel trailer that just came out and it talked about the experience of seeing it with other people in a crowd and then connecting with other fans. And it's like we humanize this shared love of something. And that's that community is is really where the magic happens. I completely agree. Uh, and, and, and I anecdotally, I share my my here's my spiritual journey. Right. I was raised Roman Catholic. I turned agnostic. I came to saving saving faith through fundamental independent Baptists. I'm now a recovering evangelical. (laughs) Um, And because essentially I was steeped into this church world. um, And and I stepped back from it. I'm like, you know what? The the way we see it, I don't think is the way it has to be done. Mm. I think the way we see it is a modern American 21st century version. And it's not the way it has to be done. Um, but the focus needs to come back to community. It needs to come back to the deeper fellowship and the place where we can express our faith with other people. Not so much the Sunday morning experience that we've all kind of maybe grown up with or we're used to today. Yeah. So let's talk about now how that applies to someone who has a business, right? And, And how important that is that they create community around the work that they do. And and not just I'm not just talking about their audience, but that community, that internal, uh, you know, that that internal community, that culture uh, of everybody who's involved, who's working with that brand, with working with that company. Right. And so, what I do now really stems from what I used to do. So, in order for me to effectively pull someone out of the, 
you know, out of the crowd, if you will, and say, listen, you have talent, you have ability, you have giftings. Let's apply those to the mission that we've taken on here under this banner of this church. I have to understand what their goals are. I have to understand what it is they want to achieve and then figure out how I can take their part in the term self-interest and connect it to our broader mission. And so that's exactly what I do with businesses now is we teach managers, we teach leaders how to connect the interests of their people to the broader mission and then how to kind of break through that and get to that vulnerability. Because with you bring that authenticity, that vulnerability, and then you're going to get community. Mm. So those are a couple of things that I like to take into there. Yeah. And, and talk about like, if you get this really dialed in internally, what kind of an impact this has on growth, scaling, impact in the world? Oh my gosh. <laughs> hard to measure, really, Josh. So I call... I like to call what I, uh, what I like to call is the discretionary effort. Okay. And so just a real quick discretionary effort is you hire somebody for a job uh, or say you hire three people and one person comes in and they do just the job. Mm-hmm. Okay, You're happy. You're paying them. They're doing just the job. That's it. And then somebody comes in and they do the job and a little more. Okay. They do. Uh, so you're even a little happier. And then somebody else comes in and they're like always there. They don't ever go away. They've done their job by 10 a.m. And now they're doing more and more and more. They're all getting paid the same. One of them, you have, ex, you have, um, what's the term? You've activated discretionary effort. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that within everyone in your organization, you're going to get a multiple factor on productivity. And that level of community, that commitment, that buy-in because what they're doing for you is actually serving them as well or serving a larger impact as well is how you access that discretionary effort. So when it comes to impact, productivity, um, you know, scalability, it just goes through the roof. Mm. So let's talk about maybe some best practices. If I'm a leader, um, you know, maybe I'm a chief operating officer, um, you know, some someone in that role, um, how do we start setting that sale? Like, how do we, what are some of the basic building blocks to improving culture within an organization? So this is where it gets a little, a little more nuanced. And I'm going to draw on your term best practice. And um, I'm going to beat it up for a second. <laughs> I'm not beating you up. I'm just going to beat up the term. Yeah. So we use this term best practice and, and it often gets used in, I think, a very unhealthy way. So for example, if I've got organization A and they're a manufacturing company and they have a set of best practices and then company B, which is a manufacturing company, but in a completely different industry with different skill sets, different resources. And they say, oh, let's take their best practices and apply them over here. Well, they're no longer best practices because a best practice is designed for a specific organization with a specific set of skills, with a specific strategy and an existing culture. And that's why they're best practice. They've been proven out to work in that organization. And when we like to cut and paste best practices, we're, we're, we're really kind of doing a lot of disservice. Uh, and so it's one of the things I, I've talked about on some other shows is, is how we frame the term best practice. Coming to your question. Um, how do we, how does a leader actually approach this? And you have to think about, so let's talk about culture for a second. 
you're going to hear a lot of different people talk differently about what it means to have an organizational culture. And you're going to hear things like, let's take this and let's let's kind of draw it out on paper and, and let's kind of form it. Let's make the culture. Yet that becomes an, um, an aspirational culture. What you really want to do is you want to think about what is the existing culture? Who, as a say, as a founder or as a senior leader, what is your culture? What are the values that you're already living out? And then how can you crystallize those and enhance those? That's going to be a much more natural and authentic culture. So that's that's a place I would start. Secondly, is I'd be looking at teaching our managers, teaching everyone in a leadership, any every people manager, how to have a conversation with their direct reports. And it's a very specific conversation. It is the, what are your personal and professional goal conversations. Because if we don't understand what our direct reports are really, really self-motivated mm-hmm. and inspired to achieve, we're not going to be able to access that, that, that discretionary effort. So we have this conversation, we begin to understand, well, maybe there's people on your team that want to go and run their own business. Maybe they want to take over your job, which is fine. Let them, let them, earn that. And then as you move up, they can move up as well. Maybe they want to go start an alfalfa farm, you know, whatever it is. Then the next thing is you break that, that goal they have, that dream goal that they're aiming towards on their personal professional career. You break it down into skills and experiences. Then you ask yourself, okay, these are the skills and experiences that you're going to need to build and accrue to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. How can I tie, how can I begin to provide some of that to you in this role? As long as you're performing well, I can maybe offer you this. I can offer you that. And then you can work on what you're going after while you're serving this organization. And then there's another more difficult conversation is if there are no skill alignments for their long-term goal with their existing goal is the question is, is this the best position for you? Because you can't achieve, you can't move forward in your own growth, in your own dreams while in this role. And some people just need a paycheck for a little bit. Hey, I'm fine with that. But you may want to think long-term, is this goal, is this role truly aligned with what you want to do? And if you can't match a skill or an experience to a, a business goal, then you're likely not aligned. It's a hard conversation, but a very important one. Yeah. Greg, you've worked with some big companies. Uh, uh, so, Automatic Department of Treasury, WooCommerce, Edward Jones. Um, and so, for those who really have enjoyed what we've been talking about, right? And, you know, they're ready for that, um, you know, that, that level of consultation. Um, where would they begin? Like, how would they start? Where should they go? Uh, and uh, obviously, that's at 5C dot consulting. Um, but what, what should they do when they're there? Shoot me an email, um, Greg at 5c.consulting. Shoot me an email. You can also reach us. I think our phone is published there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can set you up, you know, someone on my team, Jessica or Kelly will, you know, connect with you and get you uh, get some time on the calendar so we can have a conversation and then see what it is that you want to achieve. Yeah, fantastic. Again, the website 5c.consulting. Greg Ballard, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Josh, thank you. This is awesome. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.